นโมทัสสะบะกวาโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบะกวาโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบะกวาโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะอาภารุธาเดชะงามทัสสทวาราเยสุรวันธาบมุนจันตุสัตังสุนัขสิทธิ์ comfortably and pay attention listen a sense of listening uh, both to what I say how it affects you you know so it's not But when listening applies to both listening to the words and also listening to your inner reactions to the words. Because words do affect us emotionally. So we, we have this language and we can say things that make us feel good or bad according to the words, the tone of voice. This is what sensitivity is all about. Contemplate. This is a sense realm. We're born into a sensitive form, and have to live in this sensitive state till the body dies. This is what being a human being is about. And it's not about, uh, you know, any kind of eternal happiness within the form or some kind of personal. Uh, Perfection that we're after, but in understanding. So the Buddha was aiming at understanding, rather than trying to create perfect perfection according to human ideas, uh, human ideals of perfection. Now, there, there. I think it is very important to recognize that in Buddhism you have a, a very good paradigm to work with. Uh, that is, uh, I found uh, very helpful uh, in understanding, you know, a paradigm or a pattern that that the Buddha uh, devised uh, using words to describe the way things are. So it starts, uh, you know, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. So this is a statement of fact. The Buddha is stating this not as metaphysical speculation or some kind of abstract uh, idea, but stating the fact. So it's put in this form: there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Now notice that this is this is a fact. This is not theory. So what is that? You know, the the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Now, if we're not speculating about it, thinking about it, because the more you try to figure out and think about the unborn, uncreated, you'll get your brain into a twist. <laughs> because notice it's it's a negation. It says unborn, not some kind of permanently formed creature or deity. But it's a negation of, uh, or of saying the unborn. 
You can imagine anything born, created, formed, and conditioned. You can make images. You can, you know, anything with quality or quantity, color, shape, form, uh, anything you can imagine. Uh, human beings, we have very vivid imaginations, but you can't imagine the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, unformed. Try to imagine it. What does it look like? <laughs> well, your, your thinking mind stops because it, there's no image. There's no quality to it. It's not uh, big or little or red or blue or anything like that. But this is stated as a fact in this very you know, clear-cut way, that there's the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Therefore, the, there is the escape from the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned. So this is a statement. There is a... It, because we actually are experiencing right now, through the body and the senses, the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned. This is the body, these human bodies sitting here. It's through the senses, through sight, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. All of this is formed, created, born, conditioned. And this is what we, you know, when we, when we don't have the perspective on this, we're just merely sorting around, rearranging the conditions. So much of what people do with their lives is just try to rearrange the conditions. But they never get outside the condition. They're just maybe trying to get, uh, make, you know, get tired of these the arrangements, like rearranging the furniture in the house. You know, you just, until you die. Spend <laughs> your life. But there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, and so that can only be, now this, now this is my insight, mindfulness, consciousness. Because when you're mindful, when there's mindfulness, sati sampachanya, this conscious, consciousness is then, uh, you're aware of pure consciousness. And you can't imagine consciousness either. You know, you can imagine there's theories about consciousness and ideas and views about it, but you can't imagine it because you are conscious. It's trying to imagine space, isn't it? You know, imagine space. You don't have to make an image of space because you're sitting in it. It's here, you know, all around you, through you. It's, uh, it's an obvious fact. There is space. You know, what, it, what exactly does space look like? <laughs> and where can I find it? <laughs> you know, so it's, but it's not imaginable. When they do try to paint pictures of Space is usually white. 
you know, with black uh, dot or something like that. But they, uh, but you know, just the in fact, looking at space, it's all around us. It's here and now. You don't need to imagine it because this is it. You know, you you can imagine all kinds of absurdities, like uh, a Martian or a Venusian or an alien from some faraway planetary system. You can create all kinds of images of forms, takes on, on uh, the human form, animal forms, green, green creatures with uh, eyes that pop out of their heads and antennae. You can create anything, but the space around a Martian or a human being is the same thing, isn't it? Now, space is the, is the most important fact of this, of this uh, room here. Because if this room was just solid cement, we wouldn't be able to use it. <laughs> It'd be useless. And so, and yet, it's probably what's unnoticed. You notice the shrine, notice the tankas, the people, monks, nuns, bell, the things, the floor, the walls, the ceiling. But the most important, that which is most important is the space. So space is just, you know, we're waking up. When we're, when we're caught in our endless fascination with forms, we can contemplate space. For example, I used to, in the monastery, in Thailand, I, I'd get caught up with my own personal reactions to various monks. We'd sit in meditation and, and I look at this monk and say, he's a good monk, and then I'd look at them, and that one isn't very good, and this one I like, this one that I don't like very much. And I get into my personal preferences and opinions about the, the monks, the people in the space. So I started making a practice of just looking at the space between the monks. <laughs> and to do that, I just withdrew my interest uh, in, the, in, the, in the monk, or the monks, by just observing space. So it's like paying attention, being aware of space, which, in, in, you know, with this kind of practice, you, you have this sense of spaciousness quite empty space. The same with consciousness. You know, consciousness is, is immeasurable, unbounded. But you, you, you give all your attention to the creations in, in consciousness, your thoughts, your emotions, your memories, your feelings, uh, your, you know, the sensory distractions, activities through the senses. Uh, we're constantly bombarded as uh, these sensitive forms with impingement. So there's always something affecting us. Temperature, heat and cold affects the body. Or, uh, you know, you can only sit for so long and you start feeling 
uh, pain or discomfort, or something passes in front of your vision, it's pleasing or unpleasing. Sound, you know, you hear uh, beautiful music or you hear some terrible noise. And this is the way it is. The, the sense realm is, is a realm of continuous irritation. So this is just the way it is. This irritation, it starts when you're born. You know, and you, you're, you're out of your mother's womb, you're being irritated by, from the very beginning, in some way or another. <laughs> this is what sensitivity is. And I'm not condemning, saying this is wrong, but just getting to recognize the human condition is like this. It's not, it's not perfect where you're born and you live in a kind of peaceful realm, happy, uh, benevolent state, till you die at 100. You know, this realm is this way. It's about karma, about how things change, about the beautiful and the ugly, the, the pleasant, the painful, praise and blame, success and failure. And the conditions, because that conditions are in this continuous change. So, when we contemplate the conditioned realm, the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned, that's anicca dukkha nata, or the three characteristics of existence. All forms are impermanent, anicca, all forms are dukkha, unsatisfying in themselves, because they're, we're always irritating, we're always being irritated by attachment to the forms. You know, it's just natural, it's the way it is in this sense realm that we're experiencing now, through the body, through the senses. And then consciousness, then the, the uh, is, it, you know, what is it? You can't describe it, but you can, you can't find it as an object, but you can recognize it. Through mindfulness, and wisdom, panya. So, consciousness is, is this. He recognized, I don't, I can't see it as an object, but I can recognize it. Now when I'm doing this, I'm, I'm very much aware of the sound of silence. It's a kind of recognition of this consciousness. Then the relationship to the conditioned is one of understanding the condition. All conditions are impermanent. We chant the Sankarani chant. All conditions are impermanent. Now this is not a doctrinal position to take. And not, you know, in Vipassana we're not saying you have to believe in impermanence. But impermanence is obvious. You just notice it. You start observing. Uh, your own thoughts or emotions, physical experiences, sensory uh, experiences. You're, you're reflecting on them, you're noticing them, you're not, you're not imagining anything, you're recognizing feeling hot is like this, cold is like this, happy, sad, 
bored, sleepy, uncertain, insecure, frightened, greedy, hungry, thirsty, is like this. Now the unawakened human individual, their consciousness, they're never, they're, even though the consciousness is the same, they're, 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 they're always experiencing life through their conditioning. So we, we experience life through the way we're culturally conditioned, through the ego, through cultural attitudes or prejudices or biases, assumptions, ideas, ideals. So we, we live in this realm of, of, you know, I am this body and me, what I like and what I don't like, right and wrong, good and bad. So I assert myself as an individual and then you know, that is in consciousness. The fact that I am Ajahn Sumedho is a thought in consciousness. Now when I don't, when I let go of that thought, there's still consciousness. The Ajahn Sumedho rises and sees, then the word, the two words themselves arise and cease. And so you notice, you're aware of, of the, in, the thoughts in your mind. When you let them go, then the thought, thinking is very rapid. It tends to move very rapidly. But emotions tend, emotional energy tends to linger. So if you, if you feel angry, then you can stop thinking about it, but you still feel the lingering energy of strong emotion. So that's the uh, emotions are anicca dukkanata like anything else. So this is like mindfulness allows us to have this perspective, a perspective on the condition. So when I chanted in the Beginning, aparuta de sangamatasa tawara ye soda wantaba munchantu satang. This is a Pali for the gates to the deathless are open. So the, the gates, this, this is a statement the Buddha made after his enlightenment. The gates to the deathless are open. What is that gate? You know, is it, is it, is it India? Is it under the Bodhi tree at Bodhi? <laughs> Or is it here and now? Or mindfulness, the path to the deathless. Now there's so, you know, in scriptural, uh, in the Pali scriptures, there's, there's so many references to the deathless. Now the deathless you can't imagine either. So like uh, the monastery in England, I named Amaravati, Deathless Realm. Ajahn Amaro is the deathless monk. (laughs) Deathless Ajahn. So Amara, Mara, the word Mara always means death. And in Thai they call Mara Majurat, the prince of death. Uh, death is about conditioned phenomena. 
You know, so when you're attached to death, you're going to suffer. When you, when you don't know any better and you're merely attaching, rearranging the furniture in the room, uh, just going from one condition to another, you're always in it. There's always going to be a, a level of anxiety, insecurity, uncertainty, fear, worry that pursues us, even in the most secure uh, situations. Because we want, you know, we all we want to feel secure and safe and everything's going to be all right. I remember I could see myself when, when I come back for, to England from uh, being abroad for several months, meet at the airport and one of the monks would meet me and I just wanted to hear, everything okay? Yeah, everything's okay. I go, ha. Huh. <laughs> Even if everything wasn't okay. Because <laughs> I didn't want to hear if there's anything wrong, you know, oh my God, no. Another problem. <laughs> so tell me everything's okay uh, to make me feel all right. Because we know that, that, uh, that there are endless changes going on, conditions arising and ceasing. So this relationship of the conditioned to the unconditioned, the born to the, the unborn to the born, the unformed to the formed, the uncreated to the created. Now, in, there's no creator in Buddhism, like in interfaith uh, meetings in, in England. Uh, you meet with theistic religions that believe in creator God, that God created everything. That's, that's the way they, that's their paradigm, is God is the creator of the world. <clears throat> so, that is what, you know, what most of us as uh, being born and brought up in Jewish or Christian uh, families, that's our, that's our reference point to, to a God, to God, which is personified usually as a patriarchal form. So, and then you say, is God create? No, God is uncreated. Or is that, who, well then, if God created us, then who created God? And that's an unanswerable question. But then if God has a form, that's a creation. You know, so if God, when you personify, anthropomorphize the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, you lose, it's no longer, you know, you lose that perspective. You're getting caught, you're tricking your mind with creating a condition uh, that, uh, you know, that has no, no rela relationship to the other conditions. It doesn't put into perspective the conditioned world. It merely is a, you know, one is caught in, you know, like now is God male, female, is it androgynous? Is it a being? Is it, what is it? Well, in, in Christian mysticism, it usually is 
the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. It's a reality. When you talk to people who've actually meditated and investigated reality, this is the common ground. But you can't talk like this at interfaith meetings in London. <laughs> and I wouldn't understand it. But this is, you know, be, now as meditators, this is, um, this is, I found this very important just to intellectually to have this paradigm. And the very fact that the, the statement itself is there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. So then I ask myself, what is that right now? If the Buddha, you know, maybe, you know, I'm not going to believe blindly in everything that's in the scriptures. But it's worth investigating, isn't it? And then the emphasis on mindfulness, the path of the deathless, nibbana, here and now, akalika dhamma, santitika akalika dhamma, apparent here and now, timeless. So it's, it's, you know, it's something in a monastery, you're chanting this every day, every morning and evening, santitika akalika ehipasio. So what is it? You know, what is that? What is the unborn at this moment? The, the gate to the deathless is open. This is it. This is the gate. This awareness. This simple, imminent, awakened attentiveness that receives this moment in total. It's not dividing anything. It's, it's non-division. You know, when you start thinking about it, you divide it. So you can begin to recognize or realize. Now in the first sermon of the Buddha, the first, the, the, the first sermon, the, according to the tradition, uh, that the Buddha gave after his enlightenment was the Four Noble Truths, which was uh, at Saranath. And many of you have been to the holy, Buddhist holy places in India. <clears throat> so when the Buddha met his his five friends that had kind of deserted him before when he was uh, uh, the great ascetic. You know, everybody's interested in asceticism or samadhi or getting, you know, talking to devadas or meeting the god Indra or, you know, walking on water, flying in the air, all this, this kind of stuff. But uh, the Buddha, the, the ascetic Gautama, saw through that. There even... You could do all these fantastic things. It still was the born, the creator, the condition, the forms. And so even if you can be a magician and do uh, perform fantastic feats, it's, you're still stuck in the sangsara or in the conditioned realm. It's just more, in, maybe it's more, in a way, good way to impress your friends at a party. <laughs> you can show off, you know, and and, you know, fly up in the air, do something like that. But it's still conditioned, formed, and created. So the ascetic Gautama saw through the kind of 
this you know just rearranging the furniture is the rest of my life is kind of you know I don't want to do that anymore I get weary of that so uh, in his enlightenment when he became when he realized he was the Buddha or the knowing of the Dhamma and so his first sermon in Saranat was about the Four Noble Truths and the first and the Noble Truths the first Noble Truth as I've said before is the, there is suffering or dukkha so this is a statement that just like there is the unborn uncreated unformed so dukkha or suffering or anxiety or unhappiness or dis-ease or whatever words, no matter how severe, you know, your dukkha might be in the present, whether it's extreme or mild, it's a statement there is. And this, this is all about the conditioned realm. And this conditioned realm is very nature, is change. It's anicca and it's dukkha. So it, it's, there's no way you can find permanent peace permanent security in it. Because every time you, you find something that you cling to, it's going to change. You can't keep it. You can't sustain it and hold it and make it stay with you because the nature of conditioned phenomena is in Nietzsche. So taking dukkha as a noble truth, now, most humanity, their interest is running away, getting rid of dukkha. You know, so we can spend our lives looking for happiness, trying to find happiness, security, safety, wealth, respect, and all the, all the good things that we imagine. We'd like that. And we dread... All the, it's opposite. We dread poverty, being disrespected, looked down on, being sick, having uh, diseases, feeling insecure, unwanted, unloved. Death, we're afraid of death. So, so this is, uh, uh, the dukkha is, there is this truth of dukkha. It's an aria truth. It's a noble truth. So, uh, what's noble about suffering? So, they, to, because he raised the, this ordinary, banal experience that every human being ha- can recognize, he's placing it not on some kind of nasty uh, fact that we have to put up with and bear with and kind of resign ourselves to misery, but he's raising it to a noble truth. Now, why would he do that? Why would he take this banal experience of any human being from the highest to the lowest and and call it noble? Because most society thinks it's a nasty fact. Don't want it. I want happiness. I want love. I want security. I want to be respected. And then the insight into this noble truth, to have the insight, is to understand. You should understand dukkha. So in the, 
this uh, noble truth. There's three aspects to each truth. And the first is the statement, there is dukkha. Then the, the second is the, what to do about it. Dukkha should be understood. And the third is the uh, insight. Dukkha has been understood. Now to understand something, you have to accept it for what it is. If you're just caught in your usual habitual reactions of, of resisting, blaming, uh, running to find happiness, uh, distracting yourself anytime you feel upset, uh, ill at ease or anxious, you tell me everything's okay. Everything's okay. But you can't sustain that sense of everything's okay. Because there's always something, I heard something. <laughs> and, and this is a time where fear is rampant throughout the planet, isn't it? Every, the government trying to make us frightened, you know, of everything. A terrorist behind every bush or, no, no, tree. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but to understand anything, it doesn't mean you, you, you need to accept it for what it is, like suffering or dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, dis-ease, feeling uh, just unhappy or sad or grieving or whatever, you know, just feeling irritated, or you know, no matter how mild or severe it might be, this sense of understanding, it should be understood. So understanding means you're willing to receive the suffering, allowing it to be what it is in your consciousness at this very moment. And then you have the insight, the third insight, dukkha has been understood. So this is, a, notice, this is a reflective paradigm in itself. The first the, the, um, is the, um, what they call the bariyata dhamma, or the, the statement. There is, there is dukkha. Uh, there, Dukkha should be understood is what to do about it, how to practice, bhati bhata. So practice, and then bhati veti, uh, in this sense, is the Pali word for uh, when you understand something, when you accept it and observe it and allow it to be what it is, then there's an insight, bhati veti, the suffering has been understood. You see, so it's not, it's not just an intellectual statement. It, it has that first statement and then the what to do about it. And having practiced, having understood dukkha, then there is a, an insight, a kind of gut knowing of suffering or dukkha. It's not just what the dictionary defines dukkha as being or, or what somebody tells you about, or what you uh, assume is suffering. You see, so in this statement from there is the unborn 
uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, we then have perspective on the dukkha. Because our, uh, it, we're using mindfulness now as our means. The statement there is dukkha, it should be understood, it has been understood. So this is like what I refer to as intuitive intelligence or awareness. It's universal. It's not, a, it's not about being educated or knowing a lot about psychology or philosophy or anything else. It's universal intelligence that begins to be operative through awareness. So in this, when the Buddha was enlightened and then his first sermon is this, you, you know, it, it is brilliant. In, it's a brilliant teaching. And that's why it is so appropriate to, uh, to us at this time, at a totally different time and place. Because with all the perks of being an American, all the, the you know, the, the kind of high standards that we demand and expect in life, and uh, the affluence, and the uh, convenience, and all the, the things that we take for granted, we, you know, we're still, you know, miserable Neurotic, frightened, anxious, worried. You know, we have in Britain, uh, you know, there's so much problems with alcoholism, drug addiction, nervous breakdowns, depressions in an affluent country. Affluent country. It's not like surviving, like in Burma, where you, you know, you're just on the edge of survival. We just take for granted. You know, and then, then we become complainers and uh, we demand more and more. We want more of this and more of that. So we, we, there's no end to, to the human great greed and desire for, for more and better. <clears throat> and so no matter how wealthy you are, you want more than that. Just a little bit more. <laughs> I have $250 billion in the bank. Shouldn't that be not? Well, just as Richard Smith told me, I just want a little bit more than that. <laughs> so you can. John D. Rockefeller. So this is, this is, uh, I mean, this is, this is very realistic, isn't it? If you're just caught in that, in, the, in rearranging the furniture and just fumbling around, shuffling the, the deck of cards, it just goes on and on and on. There's no, no escape from it. So we call that the, the samsara in, in Pali terms. Samsara is, is the, uh, Endless cycles. What a samsara, what is a cycle? A kind of vortex of, of one condition going on to the next. It, just, it goes around and around and around, like uh, one of these, these uh, mice on a treadmill. You're just running around and around and around. And so there is an escape 
Brahms are born the created, the, uh, the, the condition. So there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, and therefore there is the escape from the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned. Then, and the Buddha says, um, because there, well, because there is this, that this escape is through, through this uh, awakened attention to in the present moment. So notice that this, this, this awakened attention, it's not, it's not samadhi. It's not like concentrating on an object. Like you have samatha meditations where you, you, you focus on an object and concentrate and you shut off everything. You know, so your, your concentration is on one thing by excluding everything else. Uh, that's uh, what we call samatha meditation. And, uh, and then there's mindfulness where you're not excluding anything, you're opening to totality. And that's what mindfulness is. Sati-sampachanya. And this is where wisdom can manifest through the human individual. The ability to discern the difference. Knowing the unconditioned is like this. Knowing the nature of the uh, condition. So we have this perspective and we if this mindfulness is the unborn, uncreated, then the thoughts, memories that arise and cease, emotions that come and go, sensory experiences, you know, they're, they are what they are. They're not trying to judge them, criticize them, prefer one over the other. We're just noticing, being the knower of the way it is. All conditions are impermanent. So this very... It was a very direct teaching, in other words. It couldn't, couldn't be more direct. It's very simple. But remember, we are very complicated. Our egos, our endless complexities, sticky webs of complexities, and our identities are, you know, we're so stuck with identifying ourselves, defining ourselves, that uh, it's, uh, you know, we... And, the, the, and in modern society, it's more complicated probably than in a, in a less uh, luxurious environment where you're just living for survival. <clears throat> Your life simplified, you know, just to get enough to eat for the day is your only interest. Survival kind of mentality. But in, uh, especially in middle-class America, you know, we can just take everything for granted. Just, you know, and then endlessly complain about because we, it's not exactly what we want or it's not good enough. So in modern life, in affluent societies, they're complaining societies. There's always something wrong, something you don't like, somebody to blame, or you blame yourself. So the, the, now the thinking mind, its, its function is to criticize. You know, it's a, 
it's a critical function. So, you know, with the thinking mind, you know this is bigger, smaller, better, worse. You know, the, the yellow and blue, red and green, and things like that. You, you know what a triangle, a rectangle, and a square. You know what is attractive and what you like, and then you know what is un- unappealing, what you don't like. So we're this uh, critical. Then it's always, you know, it's always. And look at yourself. You know how how many of you are very self-critical, self-disparaging, because you compare yourself maybe with with an ideal, with how things should be, with with somebody else. You see yourself as a sinner or. Uh, inadequate or unfortunate or whatever, whatever way you, you know, terminologies you use, they're, they're always descriptions, adjectives that, that we cling to and define ourselves with. So in this, uh, this there is the unborn uncreated, now, say, in my own experience, having been at this for so many years, this, this is real. I'm not, I say, there is the unborn. I'm stating a fact. I know this fact. Now, it's not, it's not some kind of belief in Buddhist metaphysics. But it is a matter of recognizing it. There is. This is it. I'm, and then from this, this point, then you have perspective on your conditioning, which is not criticizing it, it's just recognizing it. So you're not disparaging yourself or thinking, you know, you shouldn't feel like this or you shouldn't be like this or you should be some other way. You're recognizing that now if I feel... I'm a hopeless case is like this, feeling I am absolutely a hopeless mess is like this. You see what I mean? It's, it's allowing even the, you know, whatever, you know, a, a thought, a sensation, emotion, to be what it is. And, you're, and so you're receiving it in consciousness. You're not resisting it or, re, or rejecting anything. You're, you're allowing. Because this, this mindfulness and consciousness combined, then you're informing the wisdom, the discerning ability starts opera, operating. And, and then this teaching of the Four Noble Truths is a wisdom teaching. It's, in itself, you know, if you memorize the Four Noble Truths without practicing it, don't, don't, you're not going to be any the, much the wiser. You may, may be more clever as all. But if you, you know, but it's put it into practice so that the second aspect of each truth is about practice. Or in Pali we say, Bhatibhata. In Thai they use a Bhatibhat, means to practice, to, to investigate, 
to look into. And so each noble truth tells us what to look into. So the second noble truth is about the, there is the origin or the cause of suffering. So the first one is a statement, there is dukkha. The second is, there is, is, is dukkha is not absolute, it's not ultimate, it's not permanent. There is a cause for it. All our suffering, all that we experience is, has causes. And so then the, the cause is the ignorant clinging to the conditions or to desire. Now the, the second noble truth is very good description of desire or dhanha in Pali. So sometimes people think that when we're meditating we're trying to get rid of desire. That, you know, that monks, uh, we shouldn't have any desires. Uh, if we're, we're monks or nuns, we should not have any, we're going to conquer all desires. Now this, this is not it. You understand desire, you get to recognize desire. And what is it that recognizes desire? Is a wisdom, is satipanya, not, not an, one desire can't recognize another desire. But desires come and go. There's sensory desire. What we see, hear, smell, taste, touch. And then we, we, we see something we like, we want it. We have desire for that beautiful object. That's sensory desire. And then there's bhavadana, desire for becoming. And this is what a lot of um, meditators do. Is we, we use bhavadana as our modus operandi. We want to become enlightened. And, and vipavadana, the desire to get rid of. We want to get rid of our defilements. So notice that there's always this wanting. Wanting something you don't have yet or not wanting what you have. And, and this is, this is you know, just observing this in your, own, in your own consciousness. Wanting to get something that you don't have. Like, I want to get jhanas. I want to get samadhi. I want to become enlightened. I want to become an arahant. I want to become a better person. It's all, I want to become... I'm not good enough the way I am right now. I see so many things wrong with me. I have so many faults and unwholesome desires and I want to get rid of these, these desires and this, these unwholesome desires. And I want to become an ideal, like an arhat can be an ideal of a perfect human individual, completely desireless. A human being with absolutely no desires Ever <laughs> means they're dead, they're a corpse. <laughs> because this is a desire realm. This is a realm that is its very nature's desire. So our relationship to this realm is knowing it and investigating it. So you become an expert on desire. 
these three kinds of desire, gamadana, bhavadana, vipuvadana. The, and the clinging to these desires, it's not in the desire themselves, that's not the problem. It's this ignorant, blind, clinging attachment, habitual identity, habitual attachment, unrecognized, uninvestigated attachment to these, to these three kinds of desire that is the cause of suffering. So the insight is letting go. Desire should be let go of. Now, letting go is not resisting, suppressing, annihilating desire. It's not about annihilating desire, but letting go of it. It is what it is. Desire is like this. Bawa dhanha is like this. Wanting to get something I don't have yet is like this. Not wanting what I have, not wanting things to be the way they are is like this. So you're learning, desire's teaching you. You know, you're, you're be, you, you understand, you're observing, investigating, recognizing dhanha, desire, and attachment. The result of attaching to any desire is the cause of suffering. So this is, uh, you know, this is, this can be, I've used for all my monastic life, this, this Four Noble Truths for whatever happens to me. Because it is a brilliant, skillful means to uh, be able to, to learn from life as you, as you have to live it, as, as your karma ripens, as you get old, as things change, as life goes on, and uh, whatever happens, you know, with health or loss, Grief, loss of loved ones, unwanted changes, and things like this are part of human, every human individual's experience of life. So this, for these Four Noble Truths are a very skillful way of, of getting perspective on suffering, its causes, and then we don't have time to go further, but the, the cessation of suffering and the way of non-suffering. So on this uh, retreat, just uh, encouraging you to, to you know, to see what the kind of how to skillfully use these these uh, very skillful tools that we have uh, that will benefit. You know, you, you'll find great benefit from learning how to use them skillfully to be able to not to realize non-suffering. The Buddha said. I teach two things, suffering and the end of suffering. Only two things. There's suffering and there's the end of suffering. Well, the suffering's obvious. The end of suffering, what is that? And it's not finding a, a utopian society, you know, or, you know, a paradise, but it's in understanding. And this is the great gift we have as human beings, is that this is, this is within our ability to see, to know ultimate reality within the limitations we find ourselves as human forms and individuals. So 
So I offer this for your reflection. Sankang Namani. 